Welcome to the Portland Christian Center Podcast. This is our weekly podcast from our Sunday services. I am ready for an outrageous Christmas. How about you? Thank you, Pastor Nate and Mael, for inviting Joy and I to be here on this Sunday. No better place than being here on the 11th of December, 2022, and to see so many of you this morning, some perhaps for the very first time, but uh, thank you so much for the invitation this morning to be part of this outrageous Christmas series. And in a moment, you know, have you ever come to church and kind of wondered, I wonder what if the Lord has anything to say to me, he seems like to say to a lot of other people, but does he have a word for me? I'm going to share a word with you this morning that I think is for everyone. In fact, I'll just step out and say that no matter what you think you want for Christmas this year, this is one thing that everybody in this room, that person sitting right next to you, you and I desire. It's a one-word gift that I'd like to talk about. And I'm going to use a couple of scriptures, one from the Old Testament that is prior to the first Christmas, and one from the New Testament that describes a portion of the Christmas experience and scene. And I'd like you to uh, capture, if you will, for your spirit, what God is saying out of that. And I'm here to tell you, if you'll listen carefully, before you leave this morning, if he has not already spoken to you a word, he will speak to you a word this morning. And those of you who are watching online, God has a word for you right where you are today. And it's, I believe, a word from the Lord for you this morning. I love uh, Christmas, and here's my prayer for you, that this will not be a holiday routine, but it'll be a Holy Spirit reset, that God in this season of your life will reset you in a way that you didn't expect, then rather than just uh, going through the seasonal routine of Christmas, but you will see a spiritual experience that you'll never, never forget. I'm praying that God will do something outrageous in your life, something extraordinary, something that you desperately need, something that I need, something that is arresting and unforgettable. And just as these who are baptized this morning in water or those who stood on this uh, platform and received gifts, will never forget this day. I don't want you to forget what God wants to do in your life and my life. One thing I love about the church is that they celebrate Christmas better than anybody in the world. The Church of Jesus Christ around the world is celebrating this wonderful season of the year better than anybody in the world, better than lighting the tree in New York City uh, in Kennedy Square, better than the finest concert that you might see on television or one of your favorite movies that you like to see over and over again. I just cannot get joy to like Christmas Vacation. I don't know what's wrong with her, but she would rather watch It's a Wonderful Life. Um, in any case, I don't know that I've ever watched It's a Wonderful Life all the way through yet, but maybe this might be the outrageous year that I, I do that. I love the way the church celebrates, and I, I'm looking forward to the Christmas Eve gatherings here at Portland Christian Center this year. I love the idea. I've always enjoyed the Christmas Eve services here where we sing the familiar carols and songs that are uh, of, of the past and of the present that lift up the name of Jesus and hear your voices. Some of you got great voices. Some of you are oh, you're okay. But I love hearing 
you sing. And I love hearing people read the Christmas story and the testimonials and the homilies or devotional thoughts that come. I, I love the fellowship and I love the communion time where we pause to thank the Lord for not only coming as a babe, but what his purpose was in coming into this world. And I can't wait. You know, uh, sometimes Christmas plans in a church, a local church, don't always go as intended. And perhaps you have heard the story of the, the Mary and Joseph. They were young children that were playing the part of Mary and Joseph. The lights go down in the sanctuary. The music comes up. And Mary and Joseph have a spotlight as they walk down the center aisle. And they come up to the, to the platform area. And they go as rehearsed to the door that is representing the door of the inn. And uh, they knock on the door, and the innkeeper, in a gruff voice, a little boy, shouts out, what do you want? And little Joseph says, please, sir, we need a room. Uh, my wife is expecting a baby. We need a room for the night. And as rehearsed, the, the little boy in the, behind the door says, go away. We have no room in the inn. But please, sir, my wife is expecting he turns away with Mary as they start to walk away from the door, saddened as rehearsed. And during that moment of turning, the young boy who's playing the innkeeper becomes overwhelmed with emotion and departs from the memorized script. He opens the door and he shouts, wait just a minute, I just had a cancellation. I have a room for you tonight. To the horror of the director who feels her play has been destroyed, the pastor's wife on the front who is crying in laughter, the audience that breaks out into applause and laughter as you have, and then there's Millie Swanson, who is hard of hearing and hasn't heard any of the lines, shouts to her husband so everyone can hear, Walter, isn't this a marvelous performance? It is just perfect. We might say it was outrageous. Outrageous. I love the celebration. And now I come to these captivating lines and one word that I'd like to drop in your heart for the next few moments. If you're with me, everybody with me, say I'm with you. God has a word for you. And I want to read just a couple of verses. I'm not going to read the entire text, but one is found in Isaiah the book of Isaiah chapter 9, you're probably familiar with it, and uh, you can see it there, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Now there you find four regal, redeeming, royal titles given to the Messiah so we would know who he is and what his role is. And actually, this is done 700 years before the birth of Christ, the first Christmas. Now, I don't know how long your parents, uh, your birth mother announced that you were going to be born. Generally, uh, we have someone in our office who just announced a few weeks ago that she's expecting a child. It's not 700 years before. It's not even a year before. It's a few months before. Here, 700 years before the birth of Christ, a prophet by the name of Isaiah 
makes this announcement. And he gives us these royal titles, and I'd like to zero in on the last one for just a moment. For he said, and he will be called the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. Now I want you to fast forward to what is very familiar to the narrative of the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2. And there you find that same word used again. When it says, and suddenly, that was 700 years later, suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, there it is again, goodwill toward all men. In an unlikely way, in an unlikely setting, in an unlikely time, unlikely place, this angel, this chief angel, makes a declaration along with the host of angels that are with him, saying that he will bring peace on earth to all men and goodwill to all men. Uh, this is a magnificent word in the Bible, and it's something that every one of us in this room desires. Have you ever said to yourself, I could just use a little peace and quiet? How many will say that? Don't look at your spouse or your friend next to you. You just say, I could just use a little peace and quiet. Some of us have created in our homes man caves, women caves, go out in the garage, go away, create uh, places where we can just get away from it all. We take walks by ourselves because we're looking for peace. And the prophet said, and he will be called the Prince of Peace. He will be called the Prince of Peace. In other words, he will be the ultimate giver the ultimate giver, this is outrageous really, the ultimate giver of tranquility and calm in your life. He will bring ultimate wholeness to your life, soundness and order, and of course, harmony to your life. That's what the word is described in the Bible. This is an outrageous piece, a biblical piece. I grew up in the 60s and early 70s, and some think I'm still growing up, as I am in the 70s now, for real. And uh, so, but some of you will relate to the, that I came from a, a generation that thought the sign like this was peace. And we would always, we'd flash out at each other. We would say, hey, peace, brother. How you doing, man? Peace this, peace that. And how weak the word became because it really didn't reflect what the Bible talks about as peace. This word is used over 325 times in the Bible. It's a key word. It's a bold word. In, in, the, in the New Testament alone, it's used 26, in 26 of the books of the 27. First John's the only book because it had another theme that doesn't describe or speak using the word peace. It is a very valuable word, and it's a, a word that really describes what every one of us desire in our lives, this outrageous peace. There's an Old Testament word that describes most of, of the word peace, and that's shalom. Right next door is a synagogue. It's called Neva Shalom. It's uh, the place of peace is what they have described that as. In the New Testament, there's a, uh, a, a Greek word that is used, erene, erene. And actually, even though that they are uh, two different word languages, they both describe the same thing tranquility and harmony and order and calmness in our lives. Who in this room doesn't desire that in their lives? He, we all want peace. 
And some people think that if they achieve more, they'll have more peace. If they get that new car that they have been saving for, they'll have more peace. If we could only move into a better neighborhood, we could have more peace. If we went to a better school or, or uh, got a better job or got a raise or we could get some more money, I would then know what peace is really all about. This is what Danny Simpson, a 24-year-old young man, thought. His life was in chaos and conflict internally, and he just seemed like nothing was working well for him. He was out of sorts, and things were not going well. He decided that if he could get more money quickly, he would discover peace. So he took a handgun, a pistol, that had been given to him uh, by family members. He didn't know anything about the gun, but he just said, I'm going to take it. I'm going to go down to a, a local bank, and I'm going to rob them, and I'll have peace. So he walked in with the gun. He walked out with $6,000. He was sure now that he would be at peace with his life now that he had a lot of money. However, in a few hours, he was arrested, he was convicted, and he was uh, put in jail. He'll never forget what happened next. He was desiring, remember, peace, and he thought he would get it if he could get some money, and he robbed the bank for $6,000. And what happened next, he'll never forget. And I don't want you to ever forget this title of Jesus. He is known as the, say it with me, Prince of Peace. Try it again, Prince of Peace. That's a royal title for Jesus. And to describe some 700 years as one of the many prophecies of the Old Testament of who Jesus would be and what he could do for you and I this Christmas, bringing this outrageous peace in our lives. Now, there's three different ways that the Bible uses the word peace in Scripture. And these are categories. So the first one that you're probably aware of is spiritual peace. This is peace with God. We recognize that sin has separated us from God because of our sinful nature at birth and the way we've lived our lives separated from God. It's through Jesus Christ that we have peace with him. And so he creates, the Bible describes, peace with God. Billy Graham wrote a book about that. And in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, here's the verse. It says, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It speaks of the peace that comes as a restored relationship that's been broken between God and ourselves. So when Bill Wilson asked Jesus to come into his life, what happened? My sinful nature and my failure in life was exchanged for the peace of God between him and I. I no longer saw him as the man upstairs or the cosmic police officer that was after me for everything I did wrong. My view of God changed because now I was at peace with him. And because I was at peace with him, I understood what it was to enjoy true peace. What a gift. The second way it's used in Scripture is what we'll call emotional peace. That's the work of God's Spirit in our lives. And the Bible talks a lot about that. In fact, in Romans chapter 15, a familiar and famous and and favorite verse, verse 13, these are the words that say, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and what? Peace. What is that talking about? As you trust in him. It's talking about that internal peace of, of the, the resolve of the internal conflicts that go on in our lives. The conflict of identity. Who am I? Am I a man or a woman this week? 
Am I, um, am I smart or ugly? When I look in the mirror, do I see myself as a depressed, discouraged, defeated person that nobody likes? Or can I look in the mirror and realize that I'm a child of God? He has clearly defined me for who I am. And I don't live in guilt any longer because I have an emotional healing, and it's called peace. Every one of us in this room has struggled with that to some degree. And it's that peace the Bible talks about and described even in the book of Romans. And there is a third peace that the Bible speaks about, and that's called relational peace. Relational peace. This is peace with other people. Uh, there's not a person here who hasn't had a conflict with somebody else. We all have had that. But notice what it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. There's that word again, the word shalom or erene. Uh, uh, that's the, the word peace in our lives. So this outrageous peace covers at least three major categories in our life. Peace with God. Peace with ourselves and peace with others. Peace of God. And he will be called the Prince of Peace. Uh, there's something about being aware of the fact that the Prince of Peace now lives in your life and you walk through life with him and he with you. That brings a se sense of settledness and tranquility and completeness in your life that you didn't have before. Now, I don't know if I've described peace really well to you. Uh, maybe you haven't defined it as clearly as I should, and maybe I've missed something that you were thinking about. But it's the word that God's given to you for today because he's speaking peace over your life in perhaps a way that you never expected. But this Christmas, it's going to be an outrageous Christmas, and he's going to exchange the conflict, if you'll let him, to peace. So a friend of mine who attends this church was telling me that he and his wife went to Hawaii. How many of you want to go to Hawaii tomorrow with me? Well, you buy the tickets, I'll go, okay? So a friend told me from the church that they had flown back from Hawaii after a peaceful week of vacation. They enjoyed it. It was relaxing. They just had downtime, anything that all of us would imagine a time in, in Hawaii. But the dreaded announcement from the pilot exchanged all of their calmness for concern. When he announced that as they were approaching Portland, about 30, uh, 30 minutes out, which would be just as you come into the, uh, the, the range there, the mountain range, Cascade Range uh, from the Pacific Ocean, that we're going to run into rough air. Now, when a pilot says that to me, uh, when I'm sitting there and he says, excuse me, we're glad you're on the flight with us, we're, gonna, and we're anticipating rough air. Uh, what that means is real terror for me. I... Uh, get quite concerned. Um, about 30 minutes, sure enough, the seatbelt lights came on, the, the flight attendant reinforced the announcement of the pilot, and my friend told me that the plane hit some real rough winds. Evidently, there was a storm that had come into Portland, and it was uh, pushing the plane all over. He said the wings were going up and down like this, and he said, I felt like I was on a, uh, not on a flight, but Space Mountain at Disneyland, uncertain of what the future was gonna hold. Uh, people started getting concerned. He said you could sense it on the plane. People were talking. They were, uh, they were expressing anxiety. You could hear the sighs and the, the little uh, reserved screams. Uh, he said even people around me were picking up their phone and doing what they're not supposed to do. They were turning it on, calling relatives and friends, and telling them that this might be the last time you ever hear my voice. 
It was that kind of thing. The peace and tranquility of Hawaii was exchanged for the panic and trauma of Portland, and we live here. (laughs) The calm of the cabin had become chaotic and concerning. And you know what? You know in your life when things change. I might not be able to describe peace to you very well, but you know when it's missing. You know when it's missing in your life. You know when there's tension and stresses and strains. You know when when things are not right, when the tranquility has turned into terror. Um, And there are reasons for losing peace. Uh, One reason, not the only reason, but one reason is when we get out of step with God. You know, so I'm talking to some of you this morning. Things have not been settled with you and God. You have been going your own way. You've been wrestling a little bit. It's been a little tough. And you know the outcome of that is you're not settled. You're, you're uh, in anxiety. Uh, the peace and tranquility and serenity and calmness that you so long for has been exchanged for uncertainty and anx- anxiousness and what the Bible calls worry and fear and unsettledness. You have been robbed because you're out of step. And in fact, Isaiah later on, he, he writes about Jesus coming. Later on, he says these words in Isaiah 48. There is no peace for the wicked. And isn't that true? Just look at our world. Look at the, uh, dis- uh, the, the struggles that are going on in politics and in our culture today and in our own city. Just walk the streets of Portland and recognize that this is a result of being out of step with God. To ignore the great gift that God's given. You will never be, a- I'm just talking from my personal experience, and I think you would relate. When I'm out of step with God, I don't feel right. There's something missing in my life. And it's called peace. I'm not settled. That's one reason. Now, it's not the only reason, though, because I have met people who have faced unexpected bumps in life. They are committed believers, just like many of you this morning. They love Jesus with all of their heart. They, they're faithful in giving, and they're faithful in serving. And then a, a turbulence comes into life. There's a tsunami that comes their way. It rocks their world. And And we've all been there, and we've wondered, what's going on? And we're overwhelmed with the uncertainty, and yet we've lived our lives to honor Jesus. And Jesus spoke to this. He said, this is going to happen in this world. In John chapter 16, he said, I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. That's a very key point. He's talking to the disciples in one of his last conversations with them before the cross. Here on this earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. How many have had at least one trial or sorrow in your life in the last two years? Almost all of us. So he said, in this world, that's what's going to happen. But then he says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. I'm inspired by the testimonies of so many of you who have shared with me that in your darkest hour, God has walked through that time with you, and there has been an overwhelming sense of security and peace that has come in the midst of that storm. You have felt the the calmness, the, the confidence in the midst of that storm, and you have inspired so many of us with those testimonials and those witnesses of the fact that while we have been going through this cancer treatment, 
God has been present in the room and turned it into a sanctuary rather than a place of sorrow. Why we have been walking through this family trouble or the loss of a job or, uh, or uh, a personal concern uh, of my future, God has been there leading all the way. And he will be called the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. When the prophet made that declaration, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he didn't just sit down and get a cup of coffee and write this all out and say, well, someday this will be famous. The Holy Spirit inspired him and directed him to write these words, and he will be called the Prince of Peace. He was saying that he is the ultimate provider. Get this now. No one is superior to the Prince of Peace. He is the only one that can provide true peace for you. He is saying that Jesus is the one that brings the deep calm in your relationship with God the Father. Jesus is the one that brings real security with you and your own self. Jesus is the one that brings resolution for you and those that have been offended or been in conflict. And the angel announces something similar when he says on that night to the shepherds out in the fields that they should be aware of the fact, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill to all men. This is actually what all of us want for Christmas, right? Right. And when it's missing or we're in turmoil, we're not quite sure what's happening, but we can still have peace. A few summers ago, Joy and our two girls, Christy and, and Kimberly, Christy just had a birthday, and Kimberly's having a birthday in a few weeks, both born here in Portland. They, uh, they try to plan a trip somewhere, and uh, so they, they took off and went somewhere and left me behind. And with a note, look in the, in the refrigerator, you'll find food. So I, I looked in there and there was not much. So anyway, while Joy and the girls were gone enjoying themselves, it was the summer. And I, uh, I some of you know me well enough that I, I'm not a golfer. I gave that up after losing so many tournaments here at the church. Um, I gave up basketball uh, about 20 years ago uh, after I ended up in the hospital, and um, nobody else invited me to play any other sports with them, so I took up detailing my cars. In fact, I washed my car in the rain yesterday. How many of you did the same? I don't know, but I did. And I thought to myself, the neighbors probably think I'm crazy, but I'm sure having a great time out here. And then I got on the road and it got dirty again, so I feel terrible about that, but I detailed my car that day. and. I purchased a car, but I'm never quite satisfied with the professional detailers, so I, I always find stuff that they overlooked, and uh, I went to work, and I really thoroughly enjoyed myself. And in our home, when you walk into the entryway, to the left is a small 10 by 11 office that I've created for myself, and um, the, the office looks out to the front and the driveway and so on. So after that full day of detailing the car, I went into the office, and I was just sitting there. Uh, I'm not even sure what I was doing. Everything was locked up. It was just uh, about dusk when all of a sudden our garage door opened. And I quickly looked outside, and I didn't see anyone. I didn't see my neighbor Leroy sneaking around in our yard. I, my neighbor across the street who is six foot 10, uh, 
who, by the way, doesn't say a lot to me, but when he speaks, I listen. And uh, <laughs> earlier that after evening, just before I was ready to call it a day, uh, he, he came and spoke, uh, six foot ten German, and he said, you're going to the, uh, you're going to the park party or the, the, the uh, neighborhood party down the street? I said, well, I wasn't planning on it, but since you uh, spoke to me, I guess I better go. And uh, so I went with him, and we actually had a good time. And so I came back, and then I'm sitting in my office when this garage door opens. I looked, and it startled me. So um, I, um, I decided I'd be Hulk Hogan, and I jumped up, grabbed my defense mechanisms, and uh, I... Uh, I got my Hulk Hogan voice, I, I stood as tall as I could, and I shouted from my office, what's going on? And then I crept slowly to the garage door, and I opened it, what's going on? Who's out here? What are you doing? I looked around, there's nobody in the garage, not one person. Then I got enough nerve to move to the edge of the garage door and look into the driveway, not one person. Now I'm pretty steamed, and I go out to the street. I don't see one car. I don't see any person running around. I'm trying to figure out what happened. Why did my garage door open? I didn't see a car drive by. And I turned around, and I looked as I walked back to the house. And in my haste, I had taken out the transmitter from my car. I set it on the edge of the bricks by the garage door. And I'd gone in and forgot I put it there. And I was sure that Leroy had come over and pushed the button and uh, left me in fear and trembling. It perplexed me. I have to tell you that the peace and quiet that I was feeling at that moment uh, went away real quick. I shut the garage door. I set the transmitter on the counter in the garage. I walked in. Joy's gone. She can't protect me. And... Uh, I went to bed. I didn't sleep well. I, I really, I was off. I just was thinking in my mind, what happened? What happened? Why would that happen? I was unsettled all through the night. I, I wasn't at peace with myself for sure. I prayed harder than ever, Lord, protect this house. Build angels. Bring all the big ones around today and protect this house. And let me sleep. And I just didn't do too well. And the next morning I got up refreshed. I went out there still puzzled by what had happened. I'm out in the garage now. The garage door is open. Everybody say open. open. I'm standing there in the garage, and all of a sudden, the garage door starts to close on its own. I look around. There is nobody around. This is the weirdest thing that I can imagine. Is my garage door demon-possessed? So I don't, I don't believe in inanimate objects being demon-possessed, but I thought maybe this is an exception. I don't know. And so I, um, I did what every one of you would probably do, is I called the experts from Dave's garage door. And uh, they said, we'll send a technician out, a technician out there in a couple hours, Pastor Bill. And so the gentleman drove up, and I explained to him what happened. I said, this is the weirdest thing. He said... He looked at my garage door opener. He said, how long have you had this garage door opener? I said, well, it's probably about 26 years old. He said, that's interesting, because I've never seen one that old before in my life. <laughs> I said, well, it pays to tithe, I'll tell you what. I, 
Things last longer when you tithe and give to the Lord as we're looking at this old antique garage door opener. And then he said, let me see the transmitter. And I showed it to him and he said, I didn't even know they made these anymore. He said, That's, that is old, he said. And he said, so tell me what happened again. I said, well, I set this transmitter out on the ledge. I didn't realize I left it there and the garage door opened on its own. He said, well, I want to tell you something about your transmitter. It is so old that the contact has worn out and the moisture in the air, I didn't think there was that much, but he said the moisture in the air caused it to open up the door on its own. We call them a phantom garage door opener. Have you ever heard of a phantom garage door opener? I've never heard of it. I'm getting an education and I have a doctorate degree and never heard, and heard that kind of thing before. So he, uh, he explained that. He said, it's just a little contact in this transmitter that caused that to happen. I said, you're telling me that I got all worked up and anxious and fearful and uh, out of sorts and had a sleepless night over a little contact in a transmitter. He said, I think you need a new one. I think you need a new one. And I want to suggest to you in these final moments that God wants to take whatever has troubled you. It may be small in your eyes. It may not be a big thing to you, but it has caused you to be unsettled and unrest at, 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 uh, un, uh, unsettled in your life and not at rest in your life because of some little thing that was said or done or uncertain. And you've worked it up and it's become a big thing. And you've got your bat and you're coming out, you're ready to take it on and you realize that God is actually trying to do something in your life. You say, Pastor Bill, how can I have outrageous peace in my life? I'll give you the, the guidelines that I follow. Number one, when I accept God's pardon in my life, when I accept God's pardon, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the Christmas story. He came that I would be forgiven of my sin. John writes later, if I confess my sin, he is faithful and just to forgive me of my sin. If I will accept the pardon, you say, well, pastor, I did something terrible a long time ago. Listen, if you come to Jesus, if it happened yesterday or two weeks ago, he will give you pardon in your life. Come and give your life. Romans 5, 1 again. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm telling you right now, Bill Wilson, I'm telling you right now, if you will accept the pardon of Jesus Christ, God's pardon, you will have peace. Stop wrestling with that and justifying your action. Come to the Lord. Whatever habit, whatever pattern that's out of sorts with the Lord, get back on track by simply accepting the pardon of Jesus Christ. And you'll have an outrageous Christmas and you'll know what it is to have peace with God. When we obey, when we adhere to, when we give attention to God's principles, listen to what the psalmist said. Great peace have they who love your law and nothing can stumble. Not, uh, excuse me, nothing can make them stumble. Great peace have they who love your law. Loving God's word, taking the Bible and making it a part of your life will bring peace in the midst of your storm. It will bring a resolve to that uncertainty that you might have. I'm speaking from personal experience time and time again. I found the word of God to be of great help. 
Early on in my life when Joy and I were youth pastors here and I was going through some real uncertainty and even what some might call clinical depression at that time, which is hard for me to even say out loud, but I was really struggling. You know what Joy did? Every day she gave me a verse of scripture. And I began to hang on to those scriptures and even to this day I can tell you which scriptures they were that helped me regain the peace of God. Thirdly, when you focus or you abide in God's presence. Pastor spoke about that last week, about the very presence of God. Notice what it says in Colossians 3.15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. The peace of Christ rules in your life when you begin to focus on the fact that he is with you, and you are with him. The Lord blesses his people, it says in Psalm 29.11, his people with peace. Outrageous peace. It's not defined. You can't buy it at Costco or Walmart or at the mall. You cannot get it there. You get it from the Lord, and it is a peace of his presence this Christmas with you. And finally, when you trust in God's purposes, what's God doing? I, I have used this so much in my life when I've had to make decisions do I have the peace of God in this? Is it part of his, his plan for my life and his purpose? Am I taking this step? So yesterday, I was uh, driving out to the airport to get Joy again. She took a trip without me. And uh, I went to pick her up. And as I'm driving out, my granddaughter calls Ella. Ella, who was born here and dedicated right here on this platform. She's 18 years old now senior in high school. Uh, she's a top soccer player in the state of Montana, celebrated and uh, amazing. And she said, Grandpa, Grandpa, I got to tell you, I, I, I just got a notice and a phone call that I've gotten received a first uh, my, a, a, a full ride, I wanted to say first ride, but full ride scholarship to college. I mean, I said, well, what does that mean? Because I know, but I wanted to ask. She said, they're paying for everything, for me to play soccer and go to college. And I said, remember this. Remember three years ago when you went to summer camp and you had an encounter with the Lord and he spoke to you that if you would start reading his word daily and pray every day, that he would take you places you never dreamed you would go to do things you never dreamed you would do? Yeah. And I said, and how do you feel today? And she said, I feel a deep, settled peace that God's in control and he's in my life. And I said, that's right. That's right. And if you need uh, other money for personal expenses, just call your Nana. She'll take care of it. <laughs> I call her all the time and it hasn't worked out so well. But uh, for her grandkids, anything goes. When you are in the will of God, following his his will for your life and his purpose for your life, I assure you that you'll have outrageous peace because he is the prince of peace. Do you remember the disciples who were in this stormy experience? Jesus said, hey, let's get in the boat, go to the other side. Jesus goes to sleep. And in the New Testament, there's this dramatic experience. Most of those guys in the boat were familiar with the Sea of Galilee. And having been there and just sat in front of it for about 30 minutes one day, I could see how the topography of the sea causes storms to come up very 
quickly. There's smooth water in about 10 minutes. Boy, it's just a wild storm like the Pacific Ocean or, or something in the month of, of December. And the disciples panic, remember? And they rush up to Jesus, wake him up, and say, we're going to die. Have you ever told God this? I'm going to die. Where are you? He's still in the boat. And he gets up and he said, fear not. And he stretches out his hands and says, peace be still. Remember? And the disciples stepped back and said, oh, hey, man, this is outrageous. We've never seen anything like this before. Even the winds and the waves do what? Obey him. He is the prince of peace. And that's what he wants to do in your life. He never intended you to live in conflict. Here's the word from the Lord. He never intended you to live in confusion and uncertainty and struggle in your life. He intended you to live in his peace that passes all understanding. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, Present your request to God. And the peace, the Prince of Peace, the peace of God, which transcends all of our understanding, that means we don't quite comprehend it all, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So Danny Simpson, 24 years old, he thought, listen, he thought if he could only get a lot of money at one time, he would have so he robbed a bank at $6,000, walks out, and a few hours later, he's arrested. His 45 caliber Colt semi-automatic is confiscated. Danny goes to prison for six years. The 45 caliber Colt was sent to the lab. It was passed on to a museum, and they discovered that this gun that had been passed on to him from family members was actually manufactured in 1918. And the museum said the gun was worth over $100,000. So a young man has a gun in his hand that's worth 100000 but he doesn't know it. And he goes, robs a bank for 6000 ends up in jail, and the $100,000 gun is put in a museum. He didn't even know what he had in his hand. And ladies and gentlemen of Portland Christian Center and those who are watching, Jesus is here. Don't miss that he is the Prince of Peace. Thank you for listening to the Portland Christian Center podcast. If you'd like to hear more, or learn more about us, visit our website at pcctoday.com or join us online for our live stream at 1030 at live.pcctoday.com.